Together, we will make America strong again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And yes, together, we will make America great again. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. As many of you might know, that was the end of President Donald Trump's January 20th, 2017 inaugural address. What you might not know is that Virgil, an ancient Roman poet, expressed a similar desire to reclaim the past over two millenniums ago. Hello, and welcome to the Virgil Hour. I'm Liam, and I'll be your guide to the ancient world today as we talk about the Golden Age. What was it? Why is it important? And how does Virgil understand it? As a quick refresher, Virgil is one of the most famous Roman poets. His works include an epic called the Aeneid, a set of ten poems on the rustic life called the Eclogues, and, our focus for today, a poem framed as a farming manual called the Georgics. Virgil lived from approximately 70 to 19 BCE. For much of his life, Virgil experienced political discord, specifically, Josiah Osgood notes in the Virgil Encyclopedia, a series of terrible civil wars that engulfed the whole Roman world for nearly two decades, 49 to 30 BCE. Although we haven't quite reached the level of civil war, the political discord in Virgil's lifetime is similar to that within our own government today. Just as today's extreme political polarization has inspired the president's desire to return America to its glory days, so too did the complex political situation Virgil lived through compel him to yearn for the past. Specifically, Virgil wanted a return of the Golden Age. In this podcast, we will examine exactly what this means, both to Virgil and in a larger context, by looking at a passage from Book 1 of the Georgics, which alludes to the end of the Golden Age. Here it is, first in the original Latin and then in English. Ante yoem nulli subegebant arwa coloni, ne signa requidaut patiri limite campum, passerat in medium quae rebant ipsa quetelus, omnia liberius nullo poscente ferebat. Where 
Erberet omnem. Alta petens pelago qualius trahit unidalina. Tum feri rigorat quargutai lamina serai. Nam primi cum iscin debant visile lignum. Tum variae veneer artes labor omnia vicet. Improbus et duris urgens in rebus against us. Before the reign of Jupiter, no farmer was subjugating the fields. It was not right to even mark it out, nor to divide the field with borders. All were searching for the common good, and the earth itself was bearing everything more freely, since no one was demanding it to do so. But that one, Jupiter, added harmful poison to black snakes, ordered the wolf to plunder and the sea to swell. He cut down honey from leaves and removed fire. He repressed wine flowing here and there in rivers. He did all this in order that experience squeeze out various skills little by little, through practice, in order that experience seek out blades of grain in furrows, in order that it might hammer out fire hidden in the veins of rocks. It was at this time that rivers first experienced the hollowed out ash, boats. At this time, sailors first made names and numbers for the stars, the Pleiades, Hydas, and bright Arcton, son of Lucaonis. Then men, on land, discovered how to capture beasts with snares, how to deceive with birdlime, and how to surround the grove with dogs. Meanwhile, at sea, one man strikes the wide river with a net, seeking the deepest part, while another drags a wet fishing line in the sea. At this time, too, the strength of iron and the blade of the rattling saw came. For the ancestors used to cut wood with the splitting wedge. Then various skills came. Impious labor and necessity, enduring and harsh matters, overcame all. All right, I'm now going to walk through the implications of this brief yet deeply important passage. We'll start with some background on the Golden Age and its place in ancient literature. Then, we'll turn towards Virgil's own treatment of the Golden Age. In this passage, the rest of the Georgics, and the fourth poem of his Eclogues. Finally, I'll offer some analysis of my own and draw out some more connections to President Trump. For starters, the Golden Age is one part of the succession of ages, or races for some authors. This succession is a sequence of four and sometimes five parts that is generally treated as a decline, both in human morality and society. The other ages are, in order, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Age of Heroes, which is sometimes omitted, and the Iron Age, which most ancient authors treat as the present. The Golden Age, then, was man's peak, and the Iron Age is its low point. Virgil makes frequent references and allusions to the Golden Age throughout his works, each time drawing on his predecessors, especially Hesiod. An ancient Greek poet, Hesiod was the first to put the succession of ages myth into writing. In his Works and Days, a farming manual poem similar to the Georgics, Hesiod casts the mythical succession of ages in a rather negative light. He uses it to explain how evil and a decline in human moral character came into the world through successive generations. At the heart of this decline, for Hesiod, is the gradual development of sacrifice, of weapons, of cities, armies, and agriculture, which moves successive generations farther and farther 
from the leisure and abundance of the Golden Age. Lucretius, a Roman didactic poet, was also incredibly influential on Virgil's interpretation of the Golden Age. In his poem on the origins of the universe, called On the Nature of Things, he includes a discussion of the history of mankind. There, he makes mention of the succession of ages myth, placing a special emphasis on the idea of labor, or labor in Latin. Lucretius outlines the necessity of labor as one of the characteristics associated with the decline from the Golden Age and frames it not only as essential to the human condition, but also what separates man from God. Labor, in turn, becomes an especially prominent idea in Virgil's understanding of the myth. Let us now turn to Virgil. Before we can get too deep into our specific passage of the Georgics, we must touch on Virgil's first work, the pastoral collection of poems, the Eclogues. In the fourth Eclogue, Virgil does not treat the succession of ages myth strictly as a decline, but rather presents it as a cycle with the potential to repeat. Virgil here indicates his hope that the birth of an anonymous child, who many scholars take as Augustus and thus the poem as a sign of Virgil's high hopes for his reign, will mark the return of the Golden Age and the abundance and peace with nature that it brings. Thus, not only will the cycle repeat, but it will do so soon. In the Georgics, our focus, Virgil continues to draw from and reinterpret the ideas of his predecessors. Specifically, he takes the Lucretian understanding of labor and connects it with his own praise of the rustic life to demonstrate that the imminently returning golden age will not be idyllic or mythical as in Hesiod, or even in his own eclogues, but rather realistically based in the hard work of farmers. With this context in mind, let's take a look at our specific passage. While it might not seem like it, scholar Monica Gale states that, quote, this is perhaps the most controversial section of the whole Georgics, and that critics have argued endlessly over the tone of this passage." End quote. Indeed, the details of this passage and Virgil's tone in describing them are both largely ambiguous. The beginning of the passage appears to be the conventional take on the replacement of the abundance and freedom of the Golden Age with negative things from Zeus, such as poisoned snakes, plundering wolves, and stormy seas. But then the passage appears to take a turn. The list of negatives is replaced by a list of the skills men developed. Fishing, trapping, sawing wood, and so on. No wonder scholars have a hard time interpreting this passage. There's so much going on. The biggest question, so Christine Perkle states, has become, quote, Is this transition to be read as a good or a bad thing for mankind? As the action of a providential, or instead of an inimical or at best inattentive god, end quote. Scholars have taken both sides. Some argue that Jupiter forced labor upon men as punishment. Others assert that he did so to save them from the sloth and idleness of the Golden Age. Still more claim that it is Virgil attempting to be deliberately ambiguous. I, for one, side more with the positive interpretation. Let me explain why. Most critical to forming an interpretation of the passage as a whole is understanding its last sentence. Labor omnia wicket improbus et doris urgens in rebus agestas. Impious labor and necessity, enduring in harsh matters, overcame all. A range of scholars have grappled over the use of labor. Is it used in the negative sense as Hesiod employs it? In the innately human sense as Lucretius uses it? Or in some altogether different way? I find the latter option, that Virgil is doing something altogether unique, most compelling. This starts with the fact that this passage is sometimes termed a theodicy of labor, 
To clarify, a theodicy is an explanation of why a god allows an evil into the world. Does Virgil see labor as inherently evil then? By juxtaposing the idea of labor directly with the preceding leisure of the Golden Age, he certainly seems to, quote, emphasize the difficulty of modern man's labor, end quote. This would be too simple an understanding of Virgil's complex idea, however. In the lines directly preceding our passage, Virgil hints that the leisure of the Golden Age was not all great. One of the reasons Zeus felt the need to introduce labor to mankind then was to drive out the sloth and laziness that had developed. More explicitly, Virgil provides a series of three purpose clauses explaining why Zeus ended the Golden Age and added labor. Here they are in English. In order that experience squeeze out various skills little by little through practice. In order that experience seek out blades of grain and furrows. In order that it hammer out fire hidden in the veins of rocks. Zeus added labor not as punishment, but as a challenge to mankind. By removing natural harmony and putting man at odds with nature, he forced their intellectual and mechanical progress. The end result, labor omnia wicet improbus, combines two ideas. Labor is naturally harsh and unceasing, but its byproduct is power for man. Scholar R. Jenkins puts it nicely. This line, quote, does not imply that hard work has removed every awkwardness and made life comfortable. It refers back to the invention of arts and crafts in the distant past and maintains that these gave man mastery over all his various areas of endeavor. There is nothing in this to deny that man may have to labor constantly and face painful setbacks and disasters, end quote. That man now has mastery over all his various areas of endeavor is intriguing. If hard work and toil has allowed man to overcome all of the negative challenges that Zeus has placed before them, and all these negative elements of the Iron Age have been nullified, where does this put man in the succession of ages myth? With all the hindrances of the Iron Age driven out and man now in control over nature, it would certainly seem like the time for a new age to begin. With no ages left in the typical succession, however, Virgil uses this passage, like Ecologue 4, to indicate the return of a golden age. This golden age will not be the idyllic one outlined in Hesiod or Lucretius, however. Four, as Patricia A. Johnston writes in Virgil's Agricultural Golden Age, quote, such an age particularly characterized by freedom from toil is both supremely desirable and, at the same time, supremely unattainable, end quote. This was the Golden Age whose return Virgil anticipated in Eclogue 4. In our passage, and indeed throughout the Georgics, Virgil demonstrates a change of heart, a move from myth to reality. The new Golden Age will be, quote, an age based upon agriculture rather than an age marked by freedom from toil." End quote. Although he is departing from the specific nature of the new golden age he outlines in Eclogue 4, Virgil nonetheless maintains the idea of rebirth and renewal, just connecting it more to the themes of agriculture and labor that are especially prominent in the Georgics. Moreover, rather than making the return of the golden age seem less likely or imminent, it does the opposite. Perkle notes that here, quote, Virgil changes the golden age from an irretrievably lost paradise into an ever-present ideal. That is to say, the golden age can and will return, perhaps during the reign of Augustus, so long as Romans continue to utilize labor. Well, our time together is winding down. To recap, in this brief passage from Book One of the Georgics, 
Virgil takes a long-standing myth and turns it on its head to suit his own purposes and aims. Think back to how we started this podcast. The man whose voice you heard even before mine, President Trump, does much of the same thing. He, like Virgil with the Golden Age, is not the first president to talk about making America great again. In fact, President Ronald Reagan first used this phrase during his 1980 presidential campaign. In both cases, Reagan and Trump were responding to a dissatisfaction among the American people with the current state of affairs, and both were able to ride the idea to victory. Just as Virgil added a personal twist to the work of his predecessors, so too did Trump utilize this phrase differently than Reagan. Primarily, he made it his campaign slogan. Both Virgil and Trump found the political discord of their times disconcerting, to the point that they yearned for earlier times. Both had hoped that the good old days would return soon. Just as Trump is confident that America will be great again during his presidency, so too was Virgil confident that the reign of Augustus and the hard work of farmers would make Rome prosperous, civil, and one might even say golden again. That's it for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you'll join me again soon.